Justin Thomas to bring our reading from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. The reading's taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 7, and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15, which you'll find on page 1098 in the Green Bibles. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they went beyond our expectations. Having given themselves first of all to the Lord, they gave themselves by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have scattered abroad their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. <clears throat> you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, people will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Great, Justin, thank you very much indeed. I'd love you to have that open, page 1098, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, as I refer to it this morning. Let's uh, bow our heads for a short word of prayer. Father God, that in one sense you'd transport us back to Corinth and to the occasion of Paul's writing then, and by your Spirit, bring us through the ages now. That we understand our current situation, we understand you, and we understand your call on our lives. Challenge us, and teach us, and speak to us now, we pray. 
for your name's sake. Amen. I happened to hear on the radio this morning uh, an experiment that was carried out by a reporter, uh, or several reporters rather, working for a press organization, who all over the country, what they did was they uh, accessed a, a cash machine and withdrew 20 pounds and left the 20 pounds sticking out of the machine and made to walk off uh, by way of trial to see what the members of the general public, particularly those perhaps waiting in the queue, would do. And hearteningly, in the vast majority of cases, uh, the members of the public were only too keen to rush after this uh, undercover reporter and alert them, you've left your money. Apparently it was only in Shoreditch where someone <laughs> helped themselves to 20 pounds and walked off. <laughs> I don't know if there's anyone here from Shoreditch, please forgive me. Uh, we'd love to pray for you afterwards. But all of that to say that this morning what I want to do is to continue a little mini-series you'll have seen on the pink service card, a term card. A little mini-series as we do a little bit of internal housekeeping. And we look at our stewardship Uh, the way in which we steward God's resources. Johnny kicked us off last week. We looked at the story of Zacchaeus. I want to look this morning at uh, understanding what the Bible uh, teaches and understands about the grace of giving, as Paul calls it there. We want to involve the children and all families. So next week we're going to be talking about uh, giving and generosity within the context of an all-age service. And then practically, I want to look at our response, and I'll be helped by um, Mark, Younger, our warden, and I think Judith as well. Together they will work on presenting some sort of practical bits and pieces in terms of our housekeeping here at St. Arnis. That's on May the 10th. And that will be sort of inviting some kind of response from, from us. But what I want to say is please be prayerful in, this, in these next few weeks as we look at this little stewardship campaign together. I say stewardship and not ownership. Because, as the psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We don't own anything. God, who created the universe, the heavens and the earth, who created you and me, God generously, graciously gives us so much. And we steward it for him. We look after it for him for the time that we're here on earth. It's not ours, it's his. The houses we live in, the food we eat, the clothes we wear, the jobs we do, the talents we have, the money we possess. It's not ours, it's his. And we steward it for him. And to that end, I'm not going to say an awful lot on... um, uh, Well, there's much more I could say on what the Bible teaches about money. But I've done, again, a small paper, rather like I did uh, last term. Copies are available on the desk at the back. And if you'd like to take that away with you to complement what I want to talk about this morning in particular, then please do. There's um, also a kind of FAQ, frequently asked questions, in the green leaflet, uh, giving to God, resourcing his church, and copies of those are available on the desk at the back as well. So those two are meant as as information and background to complement what I want to say today. One or two caveats, if I can. Bad timing. Bad timing to talk about housekeeping and particularly uh, financial stewardship in our current day and age. Again, I gather this morning the Sunday Times have published their rich list um, of the world's richest people. And what they've noted this year is that that list has, uh, over this last year, experienced its largest fall in wealth and earnings. 
Indeed, I think the headline in the Sunday Times is The Bonfire of the Billionaires. Uh, and I just note that we are, I don't need to tell you, we're in what uh, the experts are saying is our worst recession since the war. And there'll be many of us here, I know there are, I'm speaking with you, I'm engaging and praying with you, who are impacted either indirectly or directly uh, as a result of the recession that we're in at the moment. So I'm, I'm conscious of that. And we need to exercise sensitivity and wisdom as a church as we talk about these things. I'm conscious too this morning there'll be some visitors here. There are those of you who won't, don't count yourself as members of St. Dionys, in which case uh, sit back. Um, I, I'd love you to, to listen. If you're a member of another church, then please take back encouragement and our blessing from here to your home church uh, that we take these things seriously and from time to time we talk about them. But please don't feel under any obligation this morning. I'm aware too, third little caveat, that you are, and I'm not exaggerating now, you are the most generous church I have ever had the privilege to serve amongst. And I say that with a, a degree of knowledge because I'm not just talking financially now, I'm talking just in the way in which you offer so much, so much of the time. Uh, when I sit down and write some cards at Christmas, to wish you a happy Christmas and to say thank you. I am staggered at the proportion, the percentage of um, the church membership that I write to specifically to thank for coming in in your own time to arrange the flowers, coming in early to set up the tea and the coffee. Those cups don't just array themselves at the back there. Neither does the coffee brew itself. Neither does the milk just emerge. Chris's prayers didn't just happen. And all of you who lead elements of the service, the worship, they were in here before anyone else, practicing, setting up, sound checking. So to the AV uh, and the sound and so on at the back. Uh, and those of you midweek who host mumbies or host the house groups, it's costly and it's sacrificial. And you do it faithfully and generously. And it is a real privilege to be amongst you. I, uh, if, I hope you don't mind me doing this, but from time to time I meet with other church leaders and I boast about you. Because I know, I, and, and these, you know, we've got some, some sort of, uh, you know, some large uh, brothers, you know, churches, brothers and sisters round about. But as a percentage, you are far more generous than they are. And I tell them so. The final thing I want to say, and it's just if, to dispel a myth, is I hone it down to um, the, the way in which we give financially towards the work of the kingdom and the work of the church. I want you to know, just in case you didn't know this, I want you to know that I don't know who gives what. And I don't want to know. I don't know who gives what. And I don't want to know. There are people in this church who out of necessity do know. That's our church treasurer, Judith, and our gift aid secretary, Susan. They obviously know who gives and what amount but they keep that discreetly to themselves and there is no one else in the whole church none of the, the, the wardens the PCC or any other appointed or elected leaders or officers who know that information it's privy to those two alone Mark Younger who's the warden because he helps with the cash counting and we don't have people counting cash on their own so uh, he's there helping with that and he'll know through the envelopes some amounts but he doesn't know everything and I don't know and I don't want to know. Uh, it, 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 it would mislead if I did. 
because I don't know your income sources. And, and uh, any kind of computation that I might want to be tempted to work out would be hopelessly misled. It's between each individual and the Lord. And I want to leave it like that as far as I'm concerned. So with those caveats, let me just give a little bit of context, and then I want three, briefly, three headings uh, this morning. The context is Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, but what he's got in mind is the church in Rome. He's thinking of the universal church, and of course there's churches in all sorts of parts of the known world then. The thing about the church in Rome is that they were going uh, under intense persecution. The emperor at the time, as you know, will have been fiercely anti-Christian. And so their lands were being confiscated, their homes being destroyed, many of them being fed to the lions in the amphitheater. And to encourage the Christians there, who are going through intense hardship, including economic hardship and financial hardship, Paul is looking around the other churches to see who is it who can support them. And naturally, he's looking towards the prosperous Greek churches. And so he mentions, as we heard in our reading in chapter 8, the Macedonian churches, and he's writing here, as we know, specifically to the church in Corinth. Paul wants to mobilize the Christian body so that, to use his phrase in verse 7, as he speaks of the Corinthians, you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I want to speak this morning about uh, Paul's teaching of the grace of giving. I've got three headings that are giving. Christian giving should be out of gratitude, not guilt. That Christian giving is generous and not grudging. And that Christian giving is cheerful and not under compulsion. Firstly, as Paul speaks about the Macedonians, and I'm looking here mainly at chapter 8, now on page 1098, he speaks of their giving out of gratitude, not guilt. And here's this remarkable phrase. Look at it in verse 4. Paul says, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Paul has clearly told the Macedonian church about the plight of the Roman church. Here are some brothers and sisters in need. And as he's talked entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us, Paul writes, for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, of raising funds to bless some others. Now, Paul isn't uh, looking to sort of press the thumbscrews uh, and, uh, you know, press people out of guilt. Look at verse 8. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. I'm not commanding you. And I have, let me just say, for what it's worth, I'm not commanding anyone in the realm of giving anything. But what I'm wanting to do, what Paul was wanting to do to the Corinthians, was encourage them through the Macedonian example. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And what makes it all the more staggering is when you hear the Macedonian context. Look at verse 2. In the midst of severe trial. I wonder how many of us might be tempted to think that we're going through a testing time. Trials. You know, stress and pressure. Well, it appears that the Macedonian church were as well. In the midst of severe trial. And what he calls extreme poverty. Nevertheless. 
their uh, rich generosity, he calls it there, the end of verse 2, welled up in them. Despite trial and poverty, rich generosity welled up in them. So that, verse 3, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Somehow the Macedonian church were empowered to give beyond their ability with rich generosity, which they pleaded Paul and the others to have a, a share of. How did they do that? Well, Paul gives us a clue, I think, in verse 5. They went beyond our expectations. This kind of living and this kind of sacrificial giving goes beyond normal, natural, human understanding. It's deeply countercultural. It's deeply subversive to us. It cuts deeply against our grain. They gave out of, uh, uh, beyond, or, uh, uh, yeah, beyond our expectation, Paul says. What they did, verse 5, was they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. They gave themselves to the Lord. The temptation might have been to see the need. Oh, the Romans are in trouble. We, we better help the Roman church. Quick, let's have a whip round. How deep of our pockets? To focus on the need or to focus on the church. But Paul says they didn't do that. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And almost certainly what would have happened is, uh, as we see in verse 1 of chapter 8, we want, to know, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. As they gave themselves first to the Lord, they will have realized exactly what it was that God had already given to them. They existed. They live because of what God has already done. He's given them the greatest gift of all, what Paul calls, uh, right at the end of our reading, chapter 9, verse 15, the, his indescribable gift. That's Jesus. His one and only son, who he gave freely that we might come into new relationship with him. And as the Macedonians thought about what God had already sacrific sacrificially given to them, they found in giving themselves to the Lord that generosity and sacrifice and giving welled up in them richly. They didn't give themselves to the need. They didn't give themselves to the church before they gave themselves first to the Lord. When David was consecrating the, the temple uh, that had been uh, refurbished and rebuilt, uh, it was recorded in Chronicles. If we can have this verse here, and this will be familiar words to those who uh, know the prayer book. He said this by way of prayer, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. And he goes on, Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. All things come from you and of your own do we give you. We're just stewards. We recognize when we stop to think about it that you own everything. You've given everything. It all comes from you, and we're only echoing and mirroring in our lives the pattern that is set up in your life. The key to being generous in all of our lives, the key to giving richly and abundantly in every aspect of our lives is to give ourselves first to the Lord and to recognize what he has already done by setting an example of generosity, a pattern for us to follow. When it comes to talking about 
giving in financial terms, it's helpful, I think, to recognize that it's a spiritual activity first and foremost. It's a response of the heart. When we recognize what God has done for us and we look to live by way of response, it releases grace in us. We've seen that in verse 1. The grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. And Paul spells it out in verse 9. We didn't have this read, but uh, just look down. Chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know, he says to the Corinthians, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. It's a spiritual activity. And as we give ourselves to the Lord, he gives his riches to us. And so we can give out of gratitude, not guilt. And as Paul turns his attention to the Corinthian church, and now I'm going to just go across to chapter 9, but with that uh, principle of being made rich as we give ourselves first to the Lord, I want to focus secondly on how Christians are called to give generously, not grudgingly. And the principle is there in chapter 9 and verse 6. Here's the New Testament principle for giving. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. There's the principle. And again, you'll see in verse 8, it starts with God. God is able to bless you abundantly. As you step out in faith, he says to the Corinthians, as you look to give and sow, maybe sacrificially, in a costly way, God, verse 8, is able to bless you abundantly. So that, note this, this is an extraordinary statement. In all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In all things, and all times, having everything that you need, you will abound in every good work. And what is that work? Well, verse 10 and 11. It's what I want to call the kind of cycle of God's blessing or God's grace. It's a vortex, if you like, into which we're invited to be drawn and caught up. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower, Paul writes, and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You see how the vortex works? As we step out in faith in response to God and we give sacrificially, our stores aren't depleted, they're increased. As God gives back to us what we've given. God has given to us in the first place. He's initiated this cycle of grace. As we step into that cycle of grace and give, He gives back to us, richly, more abundantly. We'll never be in need, although we may not have everything we want. And as he gives to us more generously, so we can abound in generosity, so that you can be generous on every occasion, Paul writes. We give even more, so that God gives back even more, so that we give even more, so that God gives back even more, so that we can give even more. What an adventure! What excitement to think that we cannot possibly outgive the giving God. Now some of you may be saying, Tim, 
isn't this a little bit irresponsible? After all, I, you know, I've got a wife, a husband, I've got a family, I've got children, I've got responsibilities, absolutely. And God, is, it's, this isn't just throwing money away willy-nilly. The context of all of this is in response to the Lord. It's in relationship with the Lord. I'm assuming that one of the questions they've asked themselves first of all is, Lord, of all that you've given us, how much are you wanting us to give at this time in this way? Perhaps another way, even more radical, Lord, of all that you've given us, how much are you calling me to keep in order that I might release all the rest? So that you can give back even more. So that we can give even more. So that on and on, the vortex of God's grace and generosity and blessing. You see, the trick to all of this is understanding that it's not our economy we're talking about. This is the kingdom economy. God raising up people like Paul who can see a need over here, so he goes over here to see if the kingdom economy can balance it out. And the Lord is the Chancellor of the Exchequer. And he knows what he's doing. He's our financial advisor. He's got it all in his control. We're simply called to be obedient to that, to trust him, and to step into the vortex of grace. Sounds risky. Sounds costly. Yes, it is. That's why the writer of the Hebrew says, Consider him, Jesus who for the trial and the test set before him, sorry, for the joy set before him, endured the test of the cross. He could see the joy that lay ahead, so he was able to go through the sacrifice of the cross. Consider him, the writer to the Hebrew says. When we step into thanksgiving and gratitude and generosity and giving in this way, it results in so much joy and peace. It results in true Christian freedom and living. Think of the number of times in small ways when Joe and I have disciplined ourselves, and it is tough sometimes to give money away that we know we could have kept for ourselves. The, the tiny amount of sacrifice that that involves compared to the joy when testimony or story comes back or when from time to time people give to us in extraordinarily generous or practical or loving ways. The joy and the thanksgiving far outweighs the sacrifice or the cost. Not just financially, actually. I was talking to some people who host a house group recently and it was clear that where there may be elements of inconvenience from time to time, it's far outweighed by the pleasure that comes to them from knowing what ministry is released in their house week by week. How people grow and mature, uh, as friendships develop, and as people deepen their Christian faith. It was huge joy out of their giving, but it was worth it. Christians are called to give generously and not grudgingly so that you will, as Paul says, be made rich in every way. Finally, briefly, the key to giving, outlined here by Paul in verse 7. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Giving ourselves first to the Lord, entering into the vortex of grace, the cycle of grace, enable us enables us to get to a place where we are free to give. And when we can give freely of our time, our talents, our energy, 
and our money, when we can give freely, we tap into, I think, the secret of spiritual life. There is a strange freedom that comes from giving away. It's because we like, it, it, that, that activity of giving away lies so close to the heart of God. We align ourselves with the heart of God when we give away as he gave away. It brings a, a strange and indescribable joy. It was 25 years ago, but in many ways it's as if it was yesterday for me. I joined with a, a small band of missionaries from the church I was a member of at the time, and we went to Romania and visited towns and villages in Romania to encourage the Christians that were there. They had to be underground and subversive because it was under the regime of uh, Ceausescu, the communist dictator, and it was, it was a harsh regime in the mid-80s. Uh, it was devastating to see how that country had been ravished. They, they call it the sort of fruit bowl of, the, of, of Europe and the harvest land of Europe because it's so fertile, and yet, uh, and yet it was so impoverished then. And I've, I've never seen so much um, poverty. You think it was, you know, it's kind of within, the, you know, within Europe now. And yet uh, there was such kind of third world degradation, frankly. And I've got to say to you, it was tough. I was I'd just out of school. And, uh, you know, can be used to three square meals a day and all of that. And we would go and receive the hospitality of these people who didn't have two beans to rub together. And I remember one meal in particular... We sat down in a grubby little shack, frankly, with this family that were no more than peasants. And they put on the table this food, which to look at it, if I'm honest, it made my stomach turn at the thought that I, I would have to eat it. I'm sure out of the bowl of soup, something blinked. And the chicken didn't look like it lived the plumpest or healthiest of lives. And it only just died, I think, as it was sat there on the plate. And we later discovered that that family had sacrificed their whole week's ration. That was their whole week's food. And they put it on the table to feed us overweight Westerners. It was, it was, a, it was an extraordinary time of great humility and in a, almost sort of self-disgust and loathing. And yet when I looked across at the faces of our hosts, they were radiant with joy. They, as this verse would have applied to them, they would urgently pleaded for the privilege of sharing in serving the Lord's people. They felt they were serving us. They felt they were giving to us. And they were, hugely, enormously, sacrificially. And yet the joy that accompanied it, the freedom, the release, it's been impressed on my mind ever since. It's a memory I will take to my dying day. It's resulted in my life and as I talk about it with others, in huge thanksgiving to God. What on earth is it that inspires these people to give in such a way, even beyond their means? The Lord and his generosity as they seek to give themselves to him first of all. I want to say, as we review our finances and review our giving, that I hope we'll be a church that is full of cheerful givers. People who give generously and joyfully and freely. I, I, you know, I'd almost want to go as far as to say, please don't give a single penny to the church 
if there's an one iota of obligation or, or compulsion or I feel I ought to, I honestly, I'd rather you kept the money to yourself for the time being and sought the Lord. I'd want to encourage you to give commensurate to your faith. If you've got faith just to give 10 pence, but you can give that joyfully, then give it and that's wonderful. But I also want to say, what an adventure, what a joy, what a legacy we could sow here if we can give sacrificially, maybe even beyond our means, who knows, as the Lord guides and directs. But we give to the ministry of the church here and to the mission further afield. And we see God's kingdom grow and establish and develop. And we see lives maybe in 25 years' time, men and women standing up and testifying to the generosity of this church family here and now. Because it made a lasting impression on their lives or their family or their work or however it is that the Lord chooses to take our money and bless it. That's the adventure that I want to invite you into and to consider and to pray about over these next few weeks. As I say, on May the 10th, we'll uh, wrap it up with um, some kind of uh, response from us. But I'd love you, if you uh, want to, to take the, the, the sheet of notes available at the back. Have a look at the green uh, standing order form, giving form, with questions and other little bits and pieces in there as well. And do come if you want to ask me or our treasurer, Judith, any questions or a member of the PCC, then we'd be only too delighted to do that. And of course, this evening is a great opportunity at the annual meeting to look at the accounts, to find out how it is that the ministry and mission at St. Dionysus is shaped and what the plans are for that ministry and mission going forward. May we be a people who give ourselves first to the Lord, give generously and abundantly and cheerfully. Amen. We come to our final hymn, an appropriate one, as we think about the inspiration that God gives us by his spirit. So let's stand and sing, breathe on me, breath of God.